Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, God's Word says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. As we focused on the next name of the son that is given, if you'll notice that language at the beginning, it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. I want to take a moment to remind you uh, of the wonderful counselor that we met last week, the name of Jesus as wonderful counselor, because it connects to the name mighty God this week. Uh, Jesus is wonderful counselor. And his counsel is not merely just good advice. He's not just an advice giver, but points towards him as a counselor who has good plans. But if we limit our understanding of Jesus to only making good plans or just a king who has good intentions, then we don't have much of a king, do we? I mean, we all have good intentions when we start out the day. Every Monday, I have the good intention of eating right, and then by noon, I'm eating fried chicken. Or a brownie. And so good intentions are only as good as somebody who can fulfill them. And so we come now to the coming king, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is not merely a well-intentioned king, a well-planned king, but his name is this, is Mighty God. It's Mighty God. In Hebrew, he is El Gabor, or literally, God Powerful. God powerful. He is the powerful, mighty God who brings his good plans to pass. And our guiding truth for today is this. The guiding truth is this. Jesus is fully God. I'm going to move this thing because I'm going to whack this at some point this morning. I'm going to get excited today. I'm just warning you. Jesus is fully God. It feels as though these words have been on repeat as we've journeyed uh, just before this through the gospel of Mark. And now we are learning from Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus is fully human and fully God. You may be thinking, yes, Keith, we know this. Can you move on? Let's dig a little bit deeper. That might be your thought, but as a pastor of this church, I have the burden, one, to equip the saints, that is to teach our people the truths of the Word of God, and two, to preach the text that is before us. The text that is before us drives the understanding that Jesus is both of these things, that he is fully human and fully God. And so we're going to plumb the depths of that in in the next few weeks as we live in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Isaiah verse 6, breaking this down a little bit, says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called, we're focusing this morning, Mighty God. His name shall be called Mighty God. We pull back from this specific passage to connect this passage to the whole of Scripture. Today we're going to be hovering through many different passages, so be prepared as you, they're all listed in your notes. You can follow along in your notes. We're going to dance around a lot in the Bible this morning. You see, we cannot just stay at the manger. We cannot simply stay at Jesus as 
an infant because there's much more to the story than the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. I don't recommend you go and watch the Will Ferrell movie, uh, Talladega Nights, but has anybody seen that? You don't have to admit it. There's a silly scene in that movie that's actually quite telling of how people tend to view Jesus. Ricky Bobby, the, the main character who portrays a NASCAR driver in this comedy movie, prays for a meal, surrounded by his family and a close friend, beginning his prayer, Dear Tiny Infant Jesus, Dear Tiny Infant, Eight Pound Six Ounce Jesus. He gets specific. He later confesses, as his wife admonishes him during the middle of the prayer, you don't have to keep saying, Dear Tiny Infant Jesus. He later confesses that he likes the Christmas Jesus best. That's what he says. And then each character at the table then tells of their favorite Jesuses. And it's telling of how we can have a tendency, especially this time of year, to not witness the whole trajectory of the Christmas story. The paradox of a mighty God. We don't want to just stay at the manger with infant, tiny, eight-pound, six-ounce Jesus. We want to see the trajectory of the redemptive story of God. It's the paradox of a mighty God who comes as a helpless babe, but he also came to save his own mother from her sins. What an incredible paradox. That that makes no sense. Only God could do something like this. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is mighty God. Upon the birth of the Lord Jesus, angels came, uh, looking to Luke chapter 2. Angels came to the shepherds nearby and proclaimed these words of of the infant that was born. Luke 2.11 For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angels here declare to the shepherds, for to you is born a Savior. The Messiah has come who is the Christ or the anointed one, the expected one. They had been waiting in eager expectation of a deliverer that would come. The Lord here. Or in the original Greek, the the kairos. A word that is used of none other than this, than God Himself. Moreover, Lord is linked to the personal name of God in the Old Testament, Yahweh. This son that has been given as Isaiah prophesied is none other than God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at five points under the heading, Jesus is mighty God. Five points, Jesus is mighty God. It's not enough simply to say that Jesus is mighty God. We look to the acts of power. Remember, uh, mighty in the original language is linked to this word power. He is power, literally powerful God. We look to the acts that are displayed in his earthly ministry, his promises of the future, and things that Jesus acted on before he came in human form. Number one, Jesus is mighty God. Jesus creates 
Jesus creates, looking to John 1, 1 to 3. Say this word with me this morning. We're, pause for just a second. Say recapitulate. recapitulate. It means a retelling. Okay, and, and in, in theology, when we study the Bible, when, when somebody recapitulates something, it's usually in light of Jesus now. We, we understand the creation account in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. Now we're seeing John retell that story, except we have a little bit further understanding in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. So John is here recapitulating the creation account, John 1-1-3. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Hear this. All things were made through Him. Who is the Word in this passage? It's Jesus. And without Him was not anything made that was made. John fills out the the creation story a little further for us as he sheds light on the capital W, Word. John, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is connecting the creative activity of God through the Lord Jesus. In these few verses, we begin to understand that Jesus not only comes in the flesh to intervene in history, Jesus came in history. Christianity is a historical religion. He came in the flesh to intervene in history and to bring about redemption but also that he has always been at work. That's what John is revealing here. That the Word has eternally existed. He was the creative action at the beginning. He has always been by the side of his people throughout the Old Testament as being powerfully connected to the creation of all things. Moreover, think about this for a second. He did not simply take existing material and mold it into what we now know as the universe and the world. There wasn't some sort of cosmic Play-Doh floating around out there that God created everything from. But He created from nothing. God created from nothing. God is so powerful, so mighty, so creative that he thought up color. I want you to think of your favorite color this morning. Think of your... God created that. Think of your favorite taste. Mine's anything that's smoked on a barbecue. God created the wood with that smoky flavor that would float up and permeate that food. God gave you taste buds in your mouth. He thought of those things and created them. He thought up color. He thought up nature. He thought up animals. There's nothing more... Well, there's a lot of things that are good. So I exaggerate sometimes. Okay. When I run, I usually, I try to get out and run in the morning. It's getting too cold to do that, but I was fortunate enough a few, whack, a few weeks ago to run outside. I'm running through Broad Run Park, and I'm still fascinated by animals and nature because from where I came from in Southern California, nothing can live. Uh, we would get three inches of rain a year, so there, there's no sustenance there for the animals. I'm fascinated as I'm running through Broad Run Park, and I, I come around the corner, and there's turkeys 
just wa- not in the freezer in the grocery store, but walking around wild. God thought of the turkey. God thought of the deer running through the forest. God thought of the beautiful cardinal flying around. And He created those things. He spoke them into existence. Jesus is mighty God in whom all things were created through. Jesus, hear this, another paradox, held in His mother Mary's arms also created her. But our mighty God is not only a creator God. He's not just a cosmic watchmaker who built a nice Rolex and then spun the gears and then now watches from a distance. He is also the sustainer, our second point. Jesus sustains. He isn't just creator, he is sustainer. God is intimately involved in his creation. Looking to Colossians 1.17. The beauty of this passage, if you were to read the verses leading up to uh, verse 17 in the context of Colossians, the, the human author of this letter, Paul, has just basically stated the same thing that John did in our previous point. He said, for by him, he's speaking of Jesus, all things were created. So it's not just one place in the New Testament but is told again by Paul, a different human author, but under the same inspiration of the same Holy Spirit, saying these things. For by Him all things were created. And then he goes on now into verse 17. Look to your notes. And He is, that is Jesus, He is before all things. Jesus was not a creation of God. He has eternally existed. And then it says this, and this is the point of emphasis, and Him In Him, all things what? Hold together. All things hold together. Jesus sustains. Jesus is mighty God, sustainer of all things. He keeps things going. In Him, all things hold together. Again, God is intimately involved in His creation. When the COVID pandemic came to our knowledge, God God wasn't off in some cosmic restroom and then came out and was like, what happened out here? No, God knew these things were going to happen. And God is at work through these things. Jesus sustains it. Looking back to John 1, following verse 3 and into verse 4, John states this, In Him was life. In Him was life. Paul says, In Him all things hold together. Jesus sustains. The paradox of the Christmas story is so evident in this point. Think of the birth of Jesus as he was sustained by his, his own mother. He fed from her. He was nurtured by her. He was protected from harm as they fled the evil King Herod. Jesus, mighty God, not only fully human Jesus, also fully God Jesus, even in that moment, was sustaining all of creation. 
He was sustaining his own mother. The depths of God's Word, right? The depths of Scripture. We don't have time this morning to plumb the depths of theology as it relates to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. But this alone, this thought alone, should be mind-blowing. That the, the infant Jesus, nurtured and sustained by his mother, but the deity within him is sustaining all things. Is anybody else mind blown by this? <laughs> Am I the only one? What kind of loving God does this? Every other religion says, you need to do this, 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 and this. Go do it under your own power. Christianity sends himself, God sends himself in the flesh to come and do what we could not do. What kind of loving God does this? Humbles himself by becoming one of us. That's what the Christmas story is all about. All the while sustaining all that he has created. It's amazing. Can't make this stuff up. We've looked at a few elements of God's powerful, mighty, common grace. This is common grace, his creation and his sustaining. He created for all living things. We share that in common. And he sustains all things. We share that in common whether you are a follower of Christ or you reject God. Now we look to his actions as the Savior. The Son that is given as mighty God, our Redeemer. Number three, Jesus forgives. Jesus forgives. In Mark chapter 2, a few friends bring a a paralytic man to Jesus. And in verse 5 it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are what? Forgiven. Jesus is mighty God who forgives us of our sins. Following Jesus' declaration that the paralytic's sins had been forgiven, the religious leaders in proximity to Jesus asked, Who can forgive sins but who? But God alone. What is this saying about Jesus? Jesus is mighty God. He forgives because He is God. He forgives because He is the one that for all of eternity was promised to come and bring about the redemption of His people. He is the one who lived perfectly in every way. In every way that no other human being has been able to accomplish. He came to reconcile sinners to Himself. He also offered Himself, as God's Word says, as the spotless Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He went to the cross, that is an an instrument of of pain. Crucifixion, we get our English word excruciating from. Jesus went to the cross and bore the punishment that was due to each and every one of us. Jesus died on the cross. That He may be and is the perfect sacrifice that covers the sin of those who will place their faith and trust in His finished work. 
Jesus is mighty God who forgives. The story does not end here, but continues towards a a final time. A time when our, our king will return. His kingdom has been established, but is, is not yet consummated. The king will come, number four, to judge. Jesus judges. Jesus judges. I read this next verse this week. Revelation twenty two twelve. And as I read it, it sent chills down my spine. It says this, Behold, I'm coming soon. Hear these words right here. These were the words that got me. Bringing my recompense with me. To repay each one for what he has done. And for the Christian, that's good news. I want you to hear something this morning. It might sound a little judgy. Everyone will stand before the king. Saved and lost. You will be judged. Here's the good news, church. Those under the covering of Jesus... Will be judged according to his work. That's good news. That Jesus, when he was slayed on the cross and and he shed his blood, his blood was poured out for you, a a perfect sacrifice. His his blood is, is an atoning blood, it's a covering blood. That when you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you obey His Word, you are covered by His righteousness. That on the day of judgment, when you are looked upon, you will be declared not guilty. But for those who have rejected Jesus, you'll be judged according to your own works. And although our society and our, our culture thinks that if you're a seemingly good person and you give to some charities and you have a good family, that you can tip the scales in the favor of God's judgment, that's incorrect. And so I want to call out to you in the room this morning, if you're skeptical of Jesus if you remain in that skepticism, you're rejecting the Lord. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and be saved. And if you are saved, your position has been changed. God's Word says that our position has changed, that we are seated with Him in the heavens. 
So not only is our, our sin covered, but we are also adopted into the family of God that Jesus, going back to, forgives. He says, Son, your sins are forgiven. That you are a family member, that you are a child of God. That we don't stand under the judgment of God. Our judgment has been taken care of at the cross of Christ. Finally, number five. Jesus sins. Not sins. Sins. Isaiah 9-7. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Hear this, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, this is, this is the son that is coming, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus has the authority because he is over his kingdom. Most post-ascension, so, so Jesus ascended to heaven most post-ascension portrayals of Jesus in the New Testament picture him in this position at the right hand of God. What is that? It's a position of power, okay, right? Mighty God, so might, a position of power and might and this, authority. Think to the stoning of, of Stephen. Stephen is, is talking about God. He's talking about Jesus and the religious leaders are telling him to be quiet, but he won't. They can't quiet him, and so he is stoned. And what does his, his vision is of this, of Jesus standing at the right hand of God? Because Jesus is mighty God. And because of this authority, he has the authority to send the third person of the Trinity. Jesus sends. He sends the Holy Spirit. And because he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit fills us. We read at the beginning of, of Acts that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that you, Christian, hear this truth. When you have faith in Jesus, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You are now the temple of God. God dwells with inside of you. Jesus has the authority to send the Holy Spirit, and He has the authority to send Spirit-empowered. We are empowered by the Spirit, Spirit-empowered people of God on mission. Jesus sends. Peter preaching to the multitudes in Acts chapter 2, after being filled with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this a number of times. Jesus, right, the coward that would not stand up for Jesus... Did I say Jesus? Peter the coward that would not stand up for Jesus. Now preaching because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Preaching to the multitudes in Acts chapter 2. Says this, Then Jesus God raised up, or this Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus is mighty God who sins. He's been raised up. Did you see that at the beginning? This Jesus God raised up. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He is alive. He has been raised up. We looked to Jesus as our forgiver. He forgives through his uh, propitiatory work on the cross. His atoning work on the cross. And he sins now through his life. Jesus is alive and he sins through that power. He is exalted. He is calling and sending you to be on mission, Christian. A mission that spreads the kingdom of God into dark places. He has the authority to impart or to send His Holy Spirit within you and claim you saying, she is mine or he is mine. And He sends you out as as an agent of His redemptive cause. You're not just reconciled to the body of Christ to sit and warm up a seat on Sundays, but you're sent out on mission. He is a conquering king, conquering the hearts of sinners and reconciling them to himself through the power of his spirit and through the words of the ones he is sending. You, church, you're an instrument of his reconciling mission. Why? Because he is Jesus, mighty God. And all of it is his. There's not one dark space that Jesus cannot lay claim to. That His light cannot shine and overcome the darkness. Have you walked into a dark room and turned on the lights? What happens? It's lit up. Abraham Kuyper says this of God's sovereignty, power, and missional cause, quote, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Skeptic in the room. Jesus is calling to your heart. He forgives your sins. He came into this world and lived the perfect life. He fully obeyed the law of God. He fully obeyed the will of God. Jesus was whipped and beaten. He was nailed to a cross. His body was torn to pieces. The wrath of God was poured out on Him. Then on the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. Defeating death in the grave, the the tomb is empty. And he ascended to heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day he is coming back. The skeptic in the room, Jesus is calling to your heart this morning. Repent and believe in the message of the gospel and be reconciled to God. Christian, 
You've been readied for the mission. King Jesus, mighty God, has equipped you with His Holy Spirit. He's equipped you with the power of His Word. And He's equipped you with the good news of the Gospel. I say this simply to you this morning. Go. Go and make disciples. Jesus is sending you out to be the light of the world.